Can you believe that we made it to 50? This is the 50th episode of the Turn It Loose podcast, and it took a while to get there. A little bit of a hiatus. In fact, we took the entire NCAA tournament off, if you can believe the hiatus, for various travel reasons and work commitment reasons. But we are back. Will Polonchik, Matt Michaels. We can find you, or you can find us, rather. We can find you, hopefully, listening to us. And you can find us via SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, as well as Stitcher. Is a, a multitude of ways for you to reach us. And I feel, Matthew, that... When we don't podcast, we also don't talk very often. So I, I literally, I just, I, I want to find out, as Fraser Crane would say, what color is the sky in your world? Wow, that that's really where you're going with the start. Huh? I went, a I Fraser went there. Crane reference, not, not even Fraser Crane, like from this is Cheers level Fraser Crane over here, right? Yeah, the, I. But they used that in early episodes of Frasier, right? Like, he probably still kept that same mannerism of the character? He was not as, again, in my casual uh, con- consuming of both programs, he was not nearly as intellectual, I gathered, in the spinoff as he was in uh, in the original Cheers. I so he was... But no, he was super intellectual, though, in Frasier. Like, so you're saying he was, you believe he was even more into intellectual in Cheers? Yes. I think in, in, he was a lot more um, worldly in Frasier, I would say, if that makes any sense. Fair enough. Fair, get, well, they needed him to be – well, you know why? Because he was in this, – this is literally a, a, a segment of character development. He became more relatable in the spinoff, and he needed him to be more relatable. Otherwise, if he played the exact same character as he would have done in the Cheers, that series, that season, series would not have lasted more than a season. It wouldn't have tested well. He was too weird, basically, in Cheers to spawn off into a character for a, a, a spinoff show. They made him more relatable. I, answer the damn, him, answer the damn question. How are you? I'm fine. In, in any case, I'm fine. Everything uh, seems to be hunky-dory. Just at the time we record this, got back from a Mizzou baseball game in in which they won again, so that's fun. Uh, They've been playing pretty doggone well. It's been an entertaining thing to be able to go ahead and and follow and cover, and so uh, now I'm here and we're doing our thing on the show. You you got to see a ranked team on a daily basis, which is nice. Nice for you. It it is very nice. Have have the... I, I, I... I shed to use the word patrons here on Masters Week, but have, have have there been a requisite amount of patrons at beautiful Taylor Stadium, High Simmons Field, to take in the now-ranked Tigres? I mean, there have been patrons. Uh, there have not been enough. The weather's been foul. Right. All, like, like, we played tonight's game under, like, 37-ish degree conditions. Ooh. And this week and this weekend against Alabama looks like it's going to be, you know, snow or wintry mix in the forecast for a day or two. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not joking. Car- Carolina, it's just, Carolina, it's not go- conducive. Carolina goes up to, to Lexington and they're talking about snow there either Friday or Saturday. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I know what you're having to go through there. I, I offer very little sympathy as I sit here in my, you know, 78, 80 degree uh, temperature situation here in the deep south. But it's OK. Hey, I mean, hey, you, you want you want to know how you can also be jealous of me too? I'm done with having to cover spring football. Like it's done. 
Done. You haven't even started yet. Done. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you did South Carolina. I mean, Mizzou's begun its spring football, but done. Not too many people are uh, not too many people are all about spring football here this year for some reason. Well, here, they're just kind of letting them fly under the radar, which is fine. Before sure. we get before we get to the tournament, I I I want to use this opportunity to, to 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 say my piece on spring football. There may have been a time where you know it mattered. And I think a lot of it had to do with just the access that we got and that teams allowed us to have when it comes to seeing spring football or football practice in general. There was a general, I guess you could say, unwritten rule between the reporters who covered the team and the teams that they covered that you wouldn't necessarily report on ginormous changes in formations and, you know, you would report on depth charts basically as you saw them. But again, there was, there was a way to manufacture the spring football narratives, as it were. But now, virtually every team closes its spring practices and fall practices. If anything you get to see for some teams, you get to see them stretch for 30 minutes, and then you walk away. And then all you really get to see is the spring game where you really learn nothing and so I I offer I I offer something different here and I'm not saying this as somebody who is a a a aggrieved media member but in order to make spring football great again I shut oh boy I would like there to be a little more juice inside the orange Here's what I propose. I'm proposing that we actually have team versus team scrimmages in the spring. I think that would be amazing. I feel like you take a month, be it the month of March, the month of April, however you want to do it, and you just have a different one every day or one or two or three every day. And you put teams against each other. You have a you know uh, however many practices you want to to lead up to it. They st- stagger them all throughout the the spring based on the the way the weather works for every one of these these schools. And you have you know a, a month's worth of football where you have you know sixty some odd games. There's 120 teams and everybody plays one. And you play it against each other. And we actually get to maybe learn something about these teams instead of just having this little party song and dance where you know some schools will attract like you know a a healthy five to ten thousand south carolina announced twenty two thousand which was a load of bs i don't know what clemson will have for it's in in a week and a half when they uh, when they have theirs at death valley but give me something if you want this to be something that people actually care about because again there are people who care about it there are people who who invest so much time and effort and mental capacity into it and try to make long-range conclusions about the fall based on what little we actually get to see let's turn it into something matthew let's let's make spring football great again am i am i am, am i hitting on something that that scratches where you itch oh i think you're hitting on something i i just i'd love to see anybody ever agree to that i i'd love to see college football programs agree to it i mean these are these are, by their nature, somewhat paranoid institutions. They're also institutions 
that have also seen, you know, when it comes to the NCAA, the, the conduct of players regulated when it comes to how much practice time that they can have. Uh, coaches have probably more hands off with the players now than they ever used to have uh, in the off seasons, uh, with the exception of obviously this particular time of year. I just don't see how any of these coaches ever agree to something like that, as fun as it might be but to get a handle on what certain teams look like. I, I just I offer You're never going to see it happen. I offer a counter. If you, if you, you mentioned the word paranoia, is it really paranoia if it's something that they're all sharing in? A paranoia they're all sharing? Like, it's shared paranoia. Everyone's afraid of the same thing. They're afraid of injuries, and they're afraid of secrets getting out. But here's the thing. The NFL does this, not only with preseason, but they have controlled scrimmages with teams outside of the scrimmage. The Houston Texans and the New Orleans Saints do this every freaking year. And guess what they do? They have fans who come. More fans, I bet you, attended the Houston Texans uh, fall scrimmage between the, the Texans and Saints that attended the University of Houston Cougars spring game. I guarantee you. Well, sure. Sure, but those are also professionals, and they're paid to do it. And until the collegiate players are given any sort of extra compensation, I think that's its whole own can of worms, right? Like, we can want it all we want, but in the end, I, I mean, the— they're, they're students. At what, some point, they still have to be students. What prevents them from being? Uh, what, what what changes about their commitment for spring football, though? Nothing changes. You're still having, you know, twelve to fifteen practices. It just builds up instead of to a a, a controlled intra squad scrimmage. It builds up to a controlled scrimmage against other bodies. What's what's the I just, difference? I I think the difference is because when you're playing somebody else. It, you want to win the game. It needs to be more competitive. In these scrimmages, yes, offense wants to be defense and all that sort of stuff, but at the same time, you're playing on the same team, and it would only take the first college football coach to lose a game to another, to, to lose a star player to another team's hand in one of these, and they would instantly go by the wayside because school administrators would probably speak up and say, you lost star wideout Billy doing what? against whom, and it didn't mean anything. I mean, if, if there was something that was actually up for grabs, I guess that wouldn't really make it spring football, but it would maybe make it more palatable in terms of, well, we can understand why you played this game. Well, I mean, You know what I'm saying? If, if you have somebody who's an injury risk, then maybe you hold them out, you only play them one series. I don't know, but, but again, it, you, you treat it like it's preseason football. That's really what you treat it like. I'm not saying go out and play starters into a fourth quarter. I mean, you could still have the same kind of controlled rules that a lot of these teams have. But at the same time, it's a chance to actually, you know, gain some sort of, I don't know, more than what we're getting now. Well, is what we get now, I, I, learn, I can tell you right now, as somebody who went to 75% of the media availabilities for South Carolina football and, you know, was there up and early when we got to see them stretch and was at the spring game and took judicious notes. I learned jack squat about South Carolina for 2018, other than they're going to try to run their offense faster. And that literally mm -hmm. was the, and that's a narrative that literally has been purported by the team. 
and they give us opportunities to talk to you know coaches and players and stuff like that. How do you ask a coach or a player about a practice you can't see? That doesn't make any freaking sense. It, it's absolutely it's the it's the most trite and stupid thing that we are asked to do. And I'm not again. I'm not trying to ask you to to to, to show pity on on me, the poor journalist. But at the same time, it's just like. You know, I, I, I hearken to my, my media brethren, Tony Kornheiser, when I asked the question, what are we even doing out here, man? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I will say this. It's not the same way every place, for instance, most of the practice of the University of Missouri in spring has actually been open to reporters, but you can't say what happened in practice. In other words, you could ask somebody, and if they tell you, then you could report upon it. But you can't just say what happened in practice yourself. You know what I mean? Like I saw. So what's the so what's X the formation? So what's the use of you being there then? Like that's, because I, you could because you could ask somebody about maybe something and then they might tell you. And so if they tell you, then it's okay. Like an assistant. Well, at it's least not at least at least you know what questions to ask people. I mean, right. that's better than you know not getting to see anything other than stretching. Um, again, I, again, I, this again. I, I don't want to. I, I don't mean to make it sound like that. I'm, I'm incredibly aggrieved by this, but I just, I, I, I find the practice of people who obsess over spring practice, or who ask us about spring practice, or who ask us about spring football, or what conclusions you draw on spring football. I'm gonna tell you honestly. I didn't learn crap about the South Carolina Gamecocks this spring. I learned even less about the Clemson Tigers because Dabo doesn't show you diddly. Okay, <laughs> they they opened up the first thirty minutes of practice today, and all you got to see was one on one drills and stretching. You didn't learn mm-hmm. you don't, that was and that was like the first bit of practice you ever got to see from Dabo in the spring because he felt he he felt generous for a day. And again, I'm I'm not saying that I'm not, I'm not calling him out for not being generous because again, he's far from the only guy who does this. LSU had the entire fall practice. Uh, completely closed to the media, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't even allow any availability for any players. Like, you didn't even get to talk to players or coaches with uh, with Coach O. Am I, am I wrong on that? Uh, I don't recall for sure. I mean, it's gotten worse, and, and I think fans have interest in these sorts of activities, but uh, there are certain institutions who probably say we can tell our own story now well the other because of the way it is and i'm not saying that's right i'm saying that's what it's trending towards i'm telling you though i can walk into a i walked when i was in houston i could walk into an entire houston texans practice i could tweet i could shoot video up to a certain point i could give you formations i could give you position battles i could give you anything and everything related to what was going on in that building you, you know why because there was a level of arrogance at the nfl level that they re- that, that not only did they not even give a crap but at the same time so much of them are running the same stuff anyway that there really is no competitive advantage to leaking any of that kind of information because guess what they are all arrogant and i think honestly p- pardon the expression but everybody kind of needs to sack up a little bit in the college life. I mean, they really do. Like, this is ridiculous. Is that? I mean, am I allowed to say what I just said? I mean, you could say whatever you want. It's it's a free country. Go ahead but and I'm say saying, it. I'm just saying. We've gotten we've gotten soft at the collegiate level. A lot of these coaches have gotten really freaking soft, and and really unnecessarily paranoid. Is that? I mean, it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. Tell Unnecessarily me paranoid can be true. I, I'd agree with that. I think some coaches are paranoid to a degree that is not needed. But 
with with the millions of dollars some of these guys make or the millions of dollars they have on the line? I mean, I, I understand. If it that. was your job. Would you be a little bit paranoid? I understand that. You're you're a little bit paranoid to begin with. So I under, I mean I understand. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But. I understand the reasons why they're paranoid, and I understand that a little bit of the way that the market has gone for these schools and the NCAA can can even be looked at as an enabler in that regard. But and I, I did not mean to spend as much time on this as, as possible. But literally, this has been eating at me for about the last two and three weeks. So I'm I'm I have a lot okay on this. But I, again, I, I understand why. I understand the source of it. But I also understand that just one level above, we don't have this. And again, I know, I know that that Nick Saban makes more than most NFL coaches make, which again I find absurd. But at the same time, if if Bill Belichick doesn't have a freaking problem with it. If Bill O'Brien doesn't have a problem with it, if uh, if any of these other coaches in the National Football Andy Reid doesn't have a problem with it, Sean Payton doesn't have a problem with it, then what the hell are we even talking about? Right. I And it's so far away from the season, too. Like, I can understand opening it up because it's so far away from the season, but... It, in some degrees, it might be because this is when you're trying to install things, and right. the installation might lay it bare, and so and you I know see that, things as they are instead of as they're disguised to be. I don't know. And I, I, I well, really don't know. Well, and the other part of it, I know, again, is is that there are restrictions and, and clamps on what exactly they can do in the summer, and they can't really coach in the summer, and summer is supposed to be kind of voluntary, even though it's wink-wink, not really voluntary. But again, why not call for reform on that? I, I get the, the the way the NCAA does things is so stupid. They do things in a way that is like, well, we've never done this before. How could we ever do this before? Guess what? You expanded your tournament in a 30-year period from 32 to 64 to 65 to 68. I think you could figure out a way to find some reform in your bylaws to allow coaches to have more time spent with their players in the offseason of your biggest cash cow that is football. Pardon me for thinking that you would be above such ideas of reform but oh it's about the student athletes see that's what they can go back to and be like oh we want the student athletes to be in class bs i am on one okay that's a warning yeah that's a warning that's a warning if you get if if the first 18 minutes and 25 seconds of this podcast were not a warning guess what you have been warned i will also say as a mode of of admission of basically being wrong, you were right about Loyola of Chicago. I I give you kudos. I give you every bit of praise that you are deserved of. You believed in the Ramblers. I called you a doofus. I am the doofus. Despite the fact that I picked the national champion, I, I kneel in your honor. You were... A sister Jean believer, while I was a heretic. Well, I, I all I have to say about that is this: I mean, I saw a team that had won thirty games in the regular season, that had shot over fifty percent from the field and like thirty nine percent from three, and had a decent free throw percentage, and and uh, their defensive numbers were pretty good. And I said, if there's ever going to be a team that can make a run, that's a team right there. And it, it just turned out to be good for me. So thank you for the acknowledgement. Not that I'm necessarily asking for it here, but I just felt that if there was going to be 
a team that could take a stab at, at something, that the Ramblers would be as good as any amongst those teams that were, uh, I guess, uh, lesser regarded coming into the tournament. This is also a CYA on my part because, as you know, when I am wrong, I will go out of my way to self-deprecate and and otherwise praise those who have bested me so as to prevent you from coming out from underneath the uh, the shrubs and gunning me down like on the grassy knoll. That's what you do. It's okay, though. How else were your NCAA tournament prognostications? How far, uh, did, well, how far did you have Mizzou going? Uh, to the... To the second round okay. where they lost, okay. um, but yeah, they they, they obviously it. took care of that losing ahead of time. I I I want to from a Mizzou perspective, you know, I said something that apparently ended up also uh, in a publication privately to a friend, a mutual friend. He didn't lose my name, thank goodness. But I, I you know, I say this as somebody who is so far detached from Mizzou right now that like I don't even. I, I couldn't even tell you the last time I even wore Mizzou apparel. I used to wear it on Saturday mornings when I went to the farmer's market. I can't even do that now in this city because people think Mizzou is the freaking devil because of what happened with Don Staley and Jim Sterk, and I'm not trying to re-adjudicate that fight. But the fact of the matter is is that while Michael Porter Jr.'s presence on the Missouri campus and on the Missouri basketball team rejuvenated a fan base that had literally left them for dead— it is going to go down, in my opinion, as a disappointing tenure. It just has to. Because I don't know how you remanufacture that going into next season, and I don't know how you replace the potential of what could have been a full season of Michael Porter Jr. in this team that will be inherited by Conzo Martin next year. That's all I have to say. Dissenting I mean, viewpoint, I, Matt Michaels, I'm sure. Go ahead. I, I just, I, I can't, it's... Yeah, it's disappointing the guy didn't get to play, but to call it one of the biggest disappointments ever for the University of Missouri is just so much of a ridiculous stretch. You're just taking it to far-gone places because you're upset that the guy didn't play games. And anybody could be upset he didn't play games, but as much of that is is poor luck as anything. You know what, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's poor luck that the guy has a, a problem with his back and can't complete you know, to part of the season. It, it's poor luck as much as anything else that he comes back, but is not what he had been or what one would expect him to be. Uh, he still brought players in that got him to an NCAA tournament and for a, a program that was lost in the desert when it came to the NCAA tournament uh, before just this past season, uh, a previously very proud program, I think we would both agree, uh, it was still a bit of heaven sent to even have somebody good enough to attract other talent to Missouri, because that's something that they had had a problem with, either attracting or keeping talent around. I, I can't, I can call it disappointing, absolutely. I can call even, say, the, the feeling of Missouri Tiger fans as crestfallen as Michael Porter Jr. did not play and did not contribute to the team in the way he hoped. I can't say it was like this big disappointment or big failure or anything, because when you look back on it, at least through the lens that you can choose to look back on it on, yeah, it's a tease, but it's not the worst thing that's ever happened to Missouri basketball. Far from it. Can I can I can I present a a hypothetical corollary? 
Can I present a hypothetical corollary? I mean, you've got the microphone, so you're going to present whatever the hell you want to present. But I know that. I want to present to you a hypothetical corollary. Let me give you Doriel Green Beckham. Largely looked at as probably the highest. I, I w- he, he, was the, he was the best recruit Gary Pingle got. Can we, can, we, can we agree on that as a consensus? Yeah. yeah. Number one player in the world, five-star kid, inside your own state, the whole bit. Okay, I'm not saying he's the best player Gary Pinkle ever coached. He is the he's the most highly touted recruit Gary Pinkle ever signed. Um, his career would be looked at at Missouri as I don't want to say adequate, but it was not a disappointment. They got to the SEC championship game in his sophomore season. Let's suppose Doriel Green Beckham in his freshman season. In the opening game against Simo, tears his ACL in the first quarter, and then never plays another down for Missouri football. Sits out a whole year. Maybe he transfers, doesn't play, whatever. He ended up transferring and not playing because of things he did off the field. But let's just say he never plays another down for Missouri football. That's basically what Michael Porter did. And in that season where he tore his ACL, Missouri went to a nondescript bowl game and lost in embarrassing fashion. Like they went to the Independence Bowl and got blown the F out. Oh, it's not the Independence. You can't equate going in a first-round game of the NCAA tournament for a team that hadn't been there in uh, three, four, five seasons and call it the Independence Bowl. That's preposterous. Well, you do have, like, how many teams make bowl games now? How many, te- how many teams making bowl games is basically the amount of teams that make the NCAA tournament? Yes, the, the end goal of the NCAA tournament is different than the end goal of the bowl games, but th- we, can't, we can't provide an equivalency in that regard. But the fact of the matter is, Missouri got embarrassed in the NCAA tournament, and Missouri would have gotten embarrassed at the end of this hypothetical corollary, which I'm talking to you about. Um... It's basically the same thing. Nah, it isn't the same thing, but that's okay. You, you're going to be able well, to tell yourself it's, that. It's, so. hard to, it's hard to create the end game equivalency because of the fact that, again, these championships are administered in two different ways. Only four teams get a chance to go to the, NC, to the, uh, the college football playoffs. 68 teams have an opportunity of hypothetically winning the national championship, but really we can basically be of an understanding that only a select few actually have a chance to win it. But again, it's this. This is basically if Doriel Green Beckham only played a quarter for Missouri, is what happened. Would you look at his career the same way as you would after he's left, independent of the off the, the field issues that he inherently had after his sophomore season? I mean, would I look at his career the same way? No, Just I guess not because he didn't do because he didn't do as much. But I wouldn't. In basketball, it's different. I feel like you're making a false equivalency here because in basketball, your talent can attract other talent. And yes, Blake Harris uh, left the University of Missouri after a a short time, but it was Michael Porter Jr.'s presence that basically got Blake Harris to Mizzou. And without Blake Harris, they would have lost a game to bleep in Emporia State this season. They would have lost a game to a D2. Would it have mattered for the uh, after effects for the NCAA tournament? I guess not, because they don't count those games. Would they have won as many as they did because they would have felt not confident, presumably? You lose to a D2 school? 
yeah, I think you might not feel as confident. You might not end up in the tournament a different way. So it's hard to say, but I don't think it can be denied, Will, that having the presence of Michael Porter Jr. at Missouri helped Missouri recruit. And that helps put butts in the seats. And putting butts in the seats is something that they needed so desperately to do there that you can't call it just a total loss or a total disappointment. I would think that the scenario you described would have been more disappointing than what happened with Michael Porter Jr. But admittedly, what happened with Michael Porter Jr. does have impact outside the bounds of the field. I just don't know how much it lasts beyond this season. And again, I'm not saying this is a fault to Michael. You know, you and I are both at different points in our time at Missouri. Uh, We're close to the family, respect the family, respect the, the, you know, what they've gone through. And a lot of this, again, not necessarily his own doing. And I don't fault him for going to the NBA either. Go get your money. I've always been pro that. If you can go get your money, go get your money. I'm not saying that the decision he's making is wrong or that he should stay or whatnot. Again, I'm not saying that. All that I'm saying is I don't know what impact he has beyond this year. And when you think about this year, no matter how much people try to romanticize this, a lot of this season was a train wreck between the will he or won't he, you know, the two transfers, the injuries, Chris Chioza beating them. Oh, God, it was a freaking drama. It was literally the Mizzou basketball season was an episode of The Bachelor. Every or, or it was a season of The Bachelor. The entire season. How many times did you pick up your phone this season as it relates to Mizzou basketball and look at it and be like, WTF, what the hell just happened? Not as much as you think. I think you're equating what happened with Mizzou basketball in the previous few seasons and conflating them with what happened what happened What happened in Mizzou in the previous few seasons is that they were as irrelevant as anything. They They were abjectly awful. I'm not saying they were abjectly awful. They were this relevant year. this year. How was that a, a disaster? They were actually relevant. They were relevant because of a, of the will he or won't he. That was why they were relevant because people were. Why wondering, are you so? Why, why are you so upset and obsessed with that? Why? Why does that all of a sudden make it, everything else invalid? Because it it wasn't really that much of a topic. It was a topic for other people. It wasn't something that Missouri talked about. It wasn't even something that the Missouri press really talked about it was kind of a national press sort of deal that wasn't something that really was a huge play in columbia missouri the will he or won't he until the very end of the season when it looked like maybe he could come back it was a was a question that was asked by uh, of conzo martin in every visiting press conference he went through right and that's what he's paid to do is answer those questions it wasn't a big deal i argue it was a distraction no it wasn't distracting at all. That team still won 20 games in one of the toughest leagues in which to win 20 games. It wasn't a distraction to them. Hardly at all. They were just like, yeah, we wish we had Mike here, but that's fine. It, it was not as big a deal as you are making it out to be. You like are it. making the mountain out of the bowl. Hill, I friend. like it. I get this. No, it's, okay, that, that's the answer. Then that's the answer. It was, I didn't like it. So that's well, why. I think that's why I made the argument I made, because I didn't like it, and I didn't like it for reasons that I expressed very publicly to you <laughs> and, uh, and other places. I got to see my friend Bill Self and eat a lot of great steak in Omaha. That was fun. Sure, that was pleasant. How is Bill? Dude. <laughs> you, I want to not like him. Is, that, is it? I want to not like him so badly. 
but it's he makes it very hard to not like him. I don't think he's a bad human being. I do think sometimes he can be a little bit short with the media and a little bit uh, he has oh, personality even, traits that can show out. I don't even think he's bad to the media. I just think that he's abjectly wrong about one thing, honestly. And that's that he doesn't believe that Missouri and Kansas should ever play again in a meaningful game other than a charity auction game to benefit hurricane victims. Right. And it's and it is the way he handled all that by the way if we go all the way back to the beginning hmm. and hmm. and all that and about oh well this is just for charity and you know we just wanted to find a team that would bring in the most money like the way that was handled was complete and total BS and I think we said it at the time like the way Bill Self acted like well we could have played then go ahead and play freaking UMKC and see how much money you raise. You know, don't act annoyed like you're playing Missouri. They're a part of the whole thing, too. That was really frustrating, what Bill Self did earlier this year, the way he played that off to try to sell it to the contingency of his fan base that never wanted to play Missouri in anything ever again. And actually, he claimed, got angry at him for taking the game. And so he was acting apologetic, and the whole the whole performance of that was just was was upsetting to Missouri fans who were like, give me a break, dude. Missouri, but Missouri wanted this, Matthew. Right. That that is the go-to. That is the go-to line. I was there. I I I I can't remember back that far whether I asked the question or or somebody close to me asked the question, but I guarantee you the question was asked, and his response that Missouri wanted this. No, no, you want this fight, Bill Self. You want this fight because your constituents are so just abjectly um, fixated on a narrative where they think that they don't need Missouri. Mm-hmm. Which is nothing, which is folly. To use a... Well, I mean, a no, I mean, word. you're an athletic department, you're self-sustaining, you don't need it, but it's, nope, it's not as fun without it, and you can be haughty all you want about it, but it doesn't do anybody any good, especially not yourselves. So I always looked at it. Again, I I think that anything that makes money, and again, whether whether the money is is life changing money or not, but f- far be it for me to think that that these guys are not cynical to the point of we are going to stand up for what they think is right in the face of something that oh by the way could make us more money. Just saying, like you know, I, that that takes. That takes an insane amount of pride that I guarantee you not many people have. I don't have that kind of pride. Right. Like, I, I, I say... I, I say probably more foul things about the New York Yankees than I say about any other entity in the sport. Really. Maybe, more, maybe Kansas is a little bit more... But but let's just say, for the sake of argument, the New York Yankees. If the New York Yankees called me tomorrow to replace John Sterling and sit next to Susan Waldman and sit there and say, a 2-2 to Giancarlo, hot, lined, hard, but foul. If they called me to do that tomorrow, I would say yes in a heartbeat, and I would swallow my pride, and I would take their paycheck, and I would love every second of it and wear the pinstripes and wear, you know, you know, sit in the regal broadcast booth of the New York Yankees that 
once had Mel Allen and John Sterling and all these legendary broadcasters in there. I would do it in a heartbeat. So, don't so are t- you saying in this circumstance you would have the pride of the Yankees? There it is. There it is. That's that's going deep in the well for you young for you youngins. That's going deep I, in the well. I think we just found the podcast title for number fifty, folks. I think we just found it. But that's what I'm saying. I don't have that kind of pride. Maybe Bill Self is a more prideful gentleman than me. And maybe that is to be admired. But I also think there is a little bit of silliness attached to that, to use a different word. Is it not? Sure. I mean, it's it's obviously taken by other people to be, in some cases, condescending or um, one-up-ish or however you would like to say it. And and not for no reason. Anyway, what what else from the tournament stood out to you? Um, that Loyola was never going to have a chance to make its run if it lost a tournament quarterfinal to uh, Northern Iowa, hmm. and how that can be really dumb and wrong because you won't get to see. Like, I think everybody universally agrees that they were rooting for Loyola to go as far as they could once they made it into, like, the eight, you unless, know? Unless they were playing your team. Right, unless they were playing your team, you wanted to see good things happen to that team. They were a great story, and it's not just Sister Jean. It's that it's that you can follow an underdog, right? Um, but that club was just a couple of bad shots or a couple of missed shots away from never having the opportunity at all, and something about that isn't, right you know something about that is just man you you can't let in teams like this because of whatever metric you're using uh to judge them or whatever preconceived notion you have about the quality of play in some of these conferences and you're telling me that we're never going to get again get an opportunity at some of these teams to show their stuff and make their run because nobody will schedule a non-conference game with them you know it's the haves and the have-nots to some degree, but I wish the have-nots in major college basketball got a little bit more of a fair shake when it came to the tournament because Loyola-Chicago was that close to not getting that fair shake itself, and we would have been deprived of what was one of the more memorable tournament runs we've seen in recent memory. I volleyball with this a lot, honestly, um, because there's part of me that says I don't want to see anything other than Power 5 teams in the NCAA tournament, which I know will never happen. This is a utopia that I live in. This is the same utopia that also does not allow for any kicking in the final two minutes or overtime of NFL games. But I'll never get that dream either. So I've made my proverbial peace with that. And Yes, because you have an extremely irrational hatred of kickers. I wouldn't call it irrational. I would not cover. I would not call that irrational. Let me tell you about the story of Doug Bryan, and let me not do it without having a full bottle of 13-year scotch at my side, because it will make you weep like a sad, sad individual. But while the upsets are great for drama, I feel there's there's a short shelf life for that drama. Because, again, while Loyola Chicago was the anomaly... I mean, think about 
all the havoc that was caused in this tournament and, and some of the bad games that resulted in succession of that. Like, we got UMBC playing a, a largely inconsequential game following their upset of Virginia. Like, we, we, and we got a couple of other, other games that just were kind of eh, unint- disinteresting. And again, not every game is going to be interesting and, and highly compelling and down to the last possession. But, you know, it, it brings about the question, yes, the upsets bring high drama and attention to the sport, but in reality, are they really worth the bang for their buck that you get in the end? I don't know. Just from a business standpoint and a compellingness standpoint, for the NCAA and the tournament. Well, I I also think that part of what makes that tournament great is just letting it go to its own devices. And if you start worrying about where the dollars and cents are going to be or, or what you think is more compelling and don't let the story evolve organically, I mean, that's when we start to see people, you know, getting played favorites or whatever in the tournament. And that I don't think people find that as fun. I think people enjoy the chaos. I mean, that's why they sell it around March Madness, right? So... Well, the tournament is its yes, own animal well, in a way, yes. I'm not saying it's not. I mean, so, so while the people who run the tournament probably for ratings purposes at the end would love to see all Blue Bloods, Dude. I don't think that's what the people want entirely. Although I do think more people than they realize actually want Blue Bloods at that stage because then they say, oh, well, we didn't get the best teams playing in the game. Well, you wanted it to be madness in the first place. Make up your mind. Sean, but Sean I... Sean McManus, this president of CBS, was unapologetic on uh, on Mad Dog Russo's show on, on Sirius. He basically told him, you know what? Kentucky losing in the round that they lost in really, you know, kind of hurt us. Like, that, that, that put us in a hole. Like, we expected Kentucky to get to the Elite Eight, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. And that put us right. in a hole. So, again, I, and I'm not saying that you should feel sorry for, you know, for CBS or Turner, but... At the same time, there's a reason that people are watching them because, you know, the better the team that gets there, a lot of times is makes for a more compelling matchup. I mean, Kansas and Duke, again, those are blue bloods, but that was one of the three best games of the tournament, was it not? Yes, it was an excellent game. So I mean, it might have been the best game of the tournament. But I, I think we also have our own personal biases that play into that too because – are we going to naturally think that Kansas and Duke is a better game just because we perceive that these players are definitely going to be more talented? I mean, Villanova-Kansas wasn't a very good game. Villanova-Kansas was a dog because Villanova well, kicked the crap out of them. Like, so, so again, just because you have two good teams doesn't inherently mean you're going to have a good game. Now, if two good teams play a good game, then, then you know. I mean, it was a good game for Villanova. That's for doggone sure because... They just played the beautiful game and shot a ton of threes, and they're still shooting them, as far as I understand, even yes. after they won the damn yes. thing. Yes, Again, it, the tournament is imperfect. It's probably the most perfect of the ways to administer a championship in college athletics. But there are certain things about it, whether it's the amount of, uh, of automatic qualifiers that get in versus – the way that you administer teams getting in, you know, amongst the last ones getting in, you know, those decisions. Again, a lot, a lot of that stuff is is hard to make consistent. But at the same time, you know, what what I'm trying to say is, 
there's always probably going to be a qualm with something. Is that fair? Would you say? Well, yeah, of course. There's always going to be a qualm with something. I mean, there's never going to make. It's never going to be a perfect system. We're always going. No. To, we're always going to be trying to drive toward the sun without ever reaching it. No, anybody who thinks there's going to be a perfect system to pick a college basketball national champion, it, it, it's folly. Although we do see a bunch of people glad that Villanova won because they think the best team won, even though the way that we determine stuff historically is through playoffs where not necessarily the best team over the balance of the season wins, but that's because the people have spoken well, just and ask, give the people what they want. Just ask the people who wanted a college football playoff, and then after they wanted a college football playoff, they thought, no, we want more teams. See? The fact that people were so desperate for a playoff that they conceded to have four people in, and then all of a sudden they thought, oh, we don't like four. We want 16 or eight or whatever the hell the number is. Well, you know? Well, they do there's, need that. There's, teams, there's, there's, well, there's, there's, let me put it this way. Once there's eight, there's going to be a faction that wants 16 and so on and so forth. And then we're, you know, now we're playing college football until March, you know, then what are we doing? Well, we are playing college football in March. We have spring football, which you wanted to make more competitive. That's not football. You wanted to make it more competitive. You wanted to play in March and April. I do. So then there's your competitive football. Play the national championship on March the 28th. No, you can't have the March. You can't have March Madness overlap with college football. That's lunacy. It would not deliver. It would not ever allow that to happen. Unless you we played did. the college football. <laughs> this is what you do. You play the college football playoff championship game on the Saturday before Selection Sunday. Just make it. Just just go. There you go. Let's go nuts. Want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Take that, Mark Ebert! <laughs> Have we talked the tourney? I think we've talked the tourney. Um, there is one more collegiate note that I wanted to bring up, and I wanted to, to kind of bounce off your very veritable skull. So South Carolina is mired in this baseball series with North Carolina in which they are largely non-competitive in. They signed a four-year deal at a neutral site at this ballpark in Charlotte, the Charlotte Knights home, the AAA home of the Chicago White Sox. Um, They basically instituted it as a way to capitalize on the drama that ensued after the 2013 Super Regional in Chapel Hill, which saw them play three games. This was after South Carolina had won back-to-back championships in 10 and 11, was runner-up in 12. And they started the series in 2016, and they wanted to run it through. They run running it through 2019. It's a four-game series again, all four games in Charlotte. South Carolina has lost all three games. Uh, they lost one game, 20 to five. They lost one game, 15 nothing. This year's game, while they led 3-1, they lost 11-3. Largely non-competitive series. This reminds me, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Missouri and Illinois football when they played the games that they called it the arch rivalry at the Edward Jones Mm. Dome. And for the longest, Illinois didn't win a game in that series. And they tried to revive it after a hiatus, and they still didn't win a game. And Illinois just punted on it and said, look, our football program is not where it needs to be to have this game not only mean anything, but give us any value anymore. Despite, despite the fact how much we want to be in St. Louis and have a presence there, it gives us no value to play this game if we're going to be non-competitive in it. 
I think that South Carolina, this brings them no value. And I even asked their coach point blank. Wow. What? What? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying wow because I, I have a hard time believing that South Carolina fans would take that line down. Look at They're the proud scores. proud fans there, Will. Look at the score. And again, I'm, I'm not saying they're not proud fans. I'm not saying they're not proud fans. They probably had, I mean, again, it was probably half South Carolina fans, half North Carolina fans. I tell you, it was the, the, the media that covered this game, I guarantee it was 100% South Carolina media. There was no North Carolina media there. Granted, it's a farther the drive from Chapel Hill to Charlotte than it is from Charlotte to Columbia, Columbia South Carolina. But I'll tell you this. South Carolina has been about as competitive in that series as Illinois was in football in that series. You know what? Illinois said, you know what? We need to rebuild our football program before we ever think about reinstituting this series. Now, Lovey Smith has thought of, has, they've signed a deal, or at least they're in the talks of a deal, correct me if I'm wrong on that, about reinstituting that series actually on campus sites. Yeah, and, they've considered it on campus sites. And, and they're going to do it like in the 2020s or whatever, which allows them time to you know, pardon the expression, get their crap together. Well, South Carolina right now is rebuilding. They, they had a coach who was handpicked by the outgoing head coach turned athletic director who crashed and burned, and they're trying to rebuild from the ground up. They're not ready to compete in this series, even against a North Carolina team that, to be brutally honest, is not very good. They're 17-11. and 11. I think 18-11 and 11 off of the victory last night or two nights ago. So it's not like they lost to a powerhouse, but they lost to a powerhouse in a conference that's two spots down on the RPI from them, is on one that shares a border, and to be brutally honest, it does not provide much value to go into a game in Charlotte and get your butt handed to you. I'm sorry. I would play this game again next year, and I wouldn't renew it again until I was confident that I had a team that could go in there and actually compete and hold a pulse. It doesn't give you any value to go out and keep getting your ass handed to you. And I'm not saying that and, you, and, and I'm not saying you schedule every series like that, but but that's one where it's like this is no value. You have to play Clemson, you have to play Coastal Carolina, you have to play schools in your state. You don't have to cross the border and play North Carolina and get served every time as a result of it. Because guess what? That's fodder, and that's not good fodder for you especially in a city that's a very key stranglehold city that has a lot of open turf in it like Charlotte. Right. Uh, I can I can definitely see that and I can see what you're saying. I just I just have a hard time believing that South Carolina fans would ever I mean this is a program that wants to compete for national championships annually because they were competing for national championships annually. It is awfully hard. This is just a sports psychology thing. It is awfully hard in the world of sports for fan bases especially who have tasted success at one level to let go of that and move on to the next thing. It's extremely hard. There are Chicago Bears fans out there who still think they just need to do things the way they did it in 1985 and 86 because that would fix everybody's problems. Honest to God, it's hard to let go if something gave you success. The natural instinct and reaction is, well, let's just go back to what made us winners. And so I think that maybe South Carolina's fan base, to some degree, has a little bit of that pride in it and wouldn't really say, wouldn't want to back down from a challenge. I also think that in baseball, you don't necessarily always get better by playing lesser competition. 
Um, and, and South Carolina is in a spot where, hey, they have great facilities. They've got a great ballpark and great tradition. They could still get some guys in there pretty quickly who could get stuff turned around. Um, so I'm not so sure that it's something they'd really want to do to not play the game, even if it's been three straight times where, you know, they've had to have their keister handed to them. I mean, the comments that we've got on Twitter and on our Facebook and on our website on the story that I wrote about the game, the first one, is there any way this annual disaster can be discontinued? Like people are saying, you know, is it really worth us going up to Charlotte and getting our butt handed to us? That's what they're saying. That's the tenor of the discussion right now. And I asked the coach point blank. I said, hey, is this something you want to reevaluate? Because, again, you've been non-competitive in this game. And, again, in the, in the heat of the moment, he said, well, we should have won this game. We were up 3-1, and our pitchers walked six batters in a span of three innings, and they all came home to score. And I'm mm-hmm. like, again, I, I understand all that. I understand it's a quirky game like that. But at the same time, it's like th- th- this is a pattern. We've got three, you know, one one's a coincidence. One is a one is an anomaly. Two is a coincidence. Three is a trend, and the trend is not good. And the attendance has gone down each of the three years. It was on a buzz. The, the the attendance going down is something that could actually legitimately be a case for administration to look at it. Now and they say, had they had about seven yeah. grand. I mean, again, they had about seven grand, and I'm sure there's a guarantee <sighs> packed in of you know. Each school gets this amount of money no matter what, whatever, and the ballpark could be running it at a loss. Who knows? But at the same time, it's like, again, what, what other than the fact that you got Will Muschamp to do a caravan stop and throw out the first pitch and glad hand with some donors, you know, what, what was your value in playing that game? I don't know. Well, the opportunity to get a win in what you hope would be another season where you can make the postseason, and I think that South Carolina baseball is going to have a chance but they can't have a chance playing the type of ball that they've played. And I just don't know. I think the talent level is there, but at the same time, the talent level hasn't shown its level. And, and again, I, in I, recent I, I, don't, I, I don't want to make excuses for them, but they are a significantly injured team. Three of their top hitters are out, but at the same time, before they swept Tennessee, their RPI was 130. They improved 65 spots after sweeping the Volunteers, and they go to. But is, but the other part of this is is that their their gimmies are over. <laughs> Looking at the schedule that they have remaining, it, there is. I mean, I, I I say I say this, and I don't mean to say this in a pejorative way, but their most winnable series that they have left is Missouri, and the only reason I say that is because they're at home. But even that is not a what I would call winnable series relative to actual uh, success rate there so in in that regard it's there's a long row to hoe for the cox in his baseball season yeah i mean right now and i'm not saying this to be you know antagonistic on this program i mean if anybody listens who's a college baseball fan right now i'd pick missouri to win that series and i think you would too i wouldn't fault you for it I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a series left on South Carolina's weekend schedule that I would pick them to win. Maybe Arkansas? Maybe? Oh, they swing it too well. Yes, right. I mean, I don't I don't I haven't looked at South Carolina's pitching up close and personal yet in the league, but what I can tell you is Missouri's pitching is damn good. They've their got top, a sub 3 staff ERA. Their their top their top two pitchers are good. Adam Hill is very very good when he's been healthy and been able to go mm-hmm. deep. And Cody Morris 
The only the only reason why he is not the Friday night starter is because he's coming off Tommy John surgery, and they're trying to limit mm-hmm. his innings. So, I mean, their their top two pitchers have stuff. They're shaky at the number three, and the bullpen, while they've been somewhat okay, got completely exposed two nights ago, and have have been exposed against bigger competition than what they faced against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it it's. And the and the other part of it too is they also again they're down they're top they're top three hitters so uh, getting runs home has been a challenge for them and again it's it's just so much a thing to me where it's like back to the original point you have like you you've got you've got to get your own house in order before you want to go in and say you know what we can actually you know swing with North Carolina that's kind of what I'm thinking but who knows. Might be. I mean, Missouri's fallen off against uh, Missouri State, but they still keep playing that series. At least in recent years, had fallen off against Missouri State, but uh, they still play the Bears. And it, it was unfortunate that they had a game washed out against the Missouri State Bears because it would have been a really good game for both teams to have. I find that to be a di- I find that to be a different set of circumstances because number one, it is in state, and number two, there's a superiority complex between Missouri over Missouri State that. I don't think exists between South Carolina and North Carolina. I think think both. I don't want to say there's a respect there because there really isn't because they don't play in any other sport. And I think Missouri and Missouri State kind of have the similar situation there, and the fact that they realize they need to play because the other ones don't. But I also think that that there there's a, a health level of respect minced with arrogance, and also throwing in the uh, the other flame in here the fact that the last two head coaches of South Carolina softball North Carolina alums just saying so it's a thing Mm. it's a thing I bet you didn't know that I did not nugget for you to throw in on your broadcast I suppose so um there is another thing here I I, I, want to I want to change gears drastically before we because I, I know we're getting to the point where you're like, I know you said you had non-sports stuff to talk about, Will. And <laughs> no, I'm 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 cool with whatever. I, I I'm just I, I'm, I'm not I'm not being I'm not being bothered by talking about college baseball or anything like that. I'm going to go incredibly far field for you. I'm, oh, I want to know what I should do for my summer vacation. I'm very, I'm I'm very perplexed by this, by this dilemma my suggestion for your summer vacation is to take it well i mean what to take like someone someone suggested that i go on a cruise and i said no i don't want to want to do cruise people this is the thing about cruises is that people like the cruise because they like the idea of the cruise but I've never talked to anybody who's gone on a cruise who said they enjoy it. Really? I no. Because there are so many hidden secrets about a cruise that you don't find out until after you take a cruise. Like if you have one of those all you can drink packages, guess what? No premium liquor for you. Or you know, it's not available after a certain time. Or, you know, 
If well, you, that would probably say it right on your stuff. Then, but you nobody know. reads the freaking fine print when you freaking. Well, you should always read the freaking fine print. That's where. That's the most important thing is to read the fine print. That's where they get you. See, you sound like me now. I, I'm skeptical of all this. And, and not only that, but it, it's also like, you know, you have to deal with emotion sickness and port a call and all these things that are just, you know, in, uh, the best. I, I, again, I, ha- I hate to bring up something that is that is uh, not not to use the word depressing, but a- after what happened to me last year, the 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 best time that was spent by me was the four days I spent in Cabo San Lucas. It was not a cruise; it was an all-inclusive resort. I was off the grid. I was gridless. You didn't hear from me. I was gone. It was great. I decompressed. Right. Stopped hating the world. Stopped hating myself. And and, and I just... It was literally the most refreshing time ever. I feel like the entire time on the cruise, that would not be fun. And I would only get one day in the Tropical Haunt, if I was lucky to get the day in the Tropical Haunt, because you're also betting against what happens in the summer in the Caribbean with the whole, you know, tropical storm situation going on. And, right. And hurricane. So, so, so tropical is out. We're thinking. And then there was, you know, go up to see my best friend, Roberto, my best non, non broadcast friend, Roberto, you are my best broadcast friend. He is my best non-broadcast friend. Go up and see him in Seattle. And then I think to myself, do I really want to spend late July in the most dreary place on Earth? Like, really? Seattle. Is Seattle dreary in late July, though? Seattle is dreary 360 days out of the year. Okay? There's only one place that gets more cloud cover than Seattle in the United States of America, and that is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hmm. They love clouds the way Wisconsin people love cheese. I am anti-Seattle. Hate it. And I'm sure they don't love the clouds. They just have to deal with the Hate clouds. Hate it. No Seattle for me. So then there was the whole situation of, oh, well, let's meet somewhere on the West Coast. And I'm thinking maybe let's go to Napa. Let's do a little, you know, wine weekend in Napa. But then there's, you know, oh, well, we got to get down to Napa, and, you know. Napa in this in the summer is expensive, and I'm just thinking, like, man, like, you people. What, are you really going to be suck. doing your own version of Sideways? Is that it? You going to be filming your own documentary? What is that? find yourself? What is a si- midlife crisis? What is Sideways? It's not a midlife crisis. I'm turning thirty. That, that movie, that movie, Sideways. You don't know the movie? No, I don't know that movie. I don't know. They go it's... and they take a motorcycle in Napa, and they're all having their midlife crisis together. Or you know. Oh, is they're, that they're having adult oh, is relations? That, is that the yeah. one with? Um, it's, all, it, it's based off a book, as, as I recall. Who is that? Is that is that like the one with the ensemble cast? That's got like you know. Yeah, it's isn't Nicholson in it? Maybe. No, I don't remember if it's him. I don't. I think it's an ensemble cast of people who are not Pe- people who were well who were no well known for that movie. It was it was people it was, who are not slouches. People who are not slouches are in that movie. 2004 it came out. Why does this seem farther away than when I thought it was? 
Yeah, it was a long time ago. I thought it was two men was... middle aged with not much to show. Paul G. Giam- disappointment. Paul... Embark on a week long trip through California's wine country. Yeah, Giamatti was in it. Paul Giamatti was in this. Um, Thomas Hayden Church was in it. Virginia Madsen. Okay, so this is not necessarily as much of an ensemble cast as I thought it was. Uh, the the woman from Grey's Anatomy is in it. Sandra O. Oh. She is. That's correct. Um, this is not the movie I was thinking of. This is not the movie I was thinking of at all. People right now are screaming at their listening device saying, you two dunderheads don't know what Sideways is. <laughs> and, I, and I only knew it just kind of by sort of knowing it. I wasn't even that confident. Struggling writer and wine enthusiast Miles, played by Paul Giamatti, takes his engaged friend Jack on a trip to wine country for a last single guy bonding experience. While Miles wants to relax and enjoy the wine, Jack is in search of a fling before his wedding. Soon Jack is sleeping with Stephanie, played by the Grey's Anatomy's Sandra O, oh, while her friend Maya, Virginia Madsen, connects with Miles. While Miles lets slip that Jack is getting married, both women are furious, sending the trip into disarray. Why have I not watched this movie? This seems like very juicy. That's that's the movie. I I can't believe you didn't recognize it when I mentioned it. You know what movie I saw uh, in my travels since we've spoken? What's that? I saw Three Billboards into Ebbing, Missouri, or Three Billboards in Ebbing, Missouri. The, that one. The Three. Did billboards you like movie. it? I I liked it. I did not. Uh, again, not to provide a spoiler, but I did not like the way that it ended. The end was very unsettling. Okay. Have you seen the movie? I'm guessing no, I haven't seen it. I'm guessing they probably meant it to be unsettling to some Oh, degree. it was it was I, I think it was artistic license, I think, allowed it, and again, practicality allowed it to be unsettled. But I just have a problem with unsettled endings. But again, I, again, not to reveal too many plot details, but it it, it runs Atypical to the way a movie of that ilk would run. So that's probably why the mo- the ending was unsettling. I also thought it got jobbed in the Oscars, by the way. Not that I'm Joe Oscar person, because the Oscars have also Joe happened. Oscar person. Well, I, I did. I, I sounds like a very good fake Hollywood name. I'm Joe Oscar person. Who are you? <laughs> I can't get behind a movie where you know a guy is a freaking half mermaid. I mean, he wasn't even really a mermaid. I mean, I a guess he'd be man. a merman. He's a, a fish man. Yeah, he's a fish man. Very much a fish man. I can't get behind that. I really can't. I really don't see how she but can't. You know, but you know really why that see, movie... I really you know don't see how she anatomically can't... Right? I, I, know I know why she can't anatomically get behind it either, but that's besides the point. I know, know why, why it won. That movie won. I know, you know why it won. Because the Hollywood glitterati, like, you know... Because it's reminiscent of old Hollywood, yeah, and it, and and it's like, oh, this is how we used to make movies to escape, and look at this escape, look at this world that was invented, and it made me look in awe and wonder. You know, I've, that's why it won Oscar. I've reached the moment of clarity. The Academy of Nelson Picture Arts and Sciences is the NCAA. It's the same. It's the, they're the they're the exact same. I, we we just need an explanation now. I mean, I can't even say anything else. Like, like Mark Emert is is the guy that you see is the guy that you see after Jimmy Kimmel reads the nice little disclaimer from uh, whoever the hell 
accounting firm does their their crap. Price Waterhouse Coopers. Price Waterhouse Coopers. Yes, it was either them or Ernst and Young, one of the two. Uh, <laughs> that's who Mark Emmert is. Mark Emmert is that guy who stands by and is like, "By the way, we the, the, the you're you're FOS, you know? Like, come on." Am I wrong? His haircut does look like kind of evil now, too. Dude, is he has he not let himself go a little bit? Hasn't he? Maybe a little bit, yeah. He's let himself go. I like, think it's weighing on him. Like, I, I think it, I think it's starting to weigh on him. Just exactly what by, he's into now. By the way, I love how like all the talk was about maybe you know trying to to uh, maybe you know give these guys some money and, and maybe relax the rules on amateurism. And he comes out around the NCAA tournament and says, yeah, yeah, we're not really going to look at that. <laughs> like, really? 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 Yeah, we, we still want them to go pro in something other than sports. Yeah. Uh-huh. 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 Do you have a, a, a read a read on the Masters at all? No, I don't. Um, I love the Masters. I think it's one of my favorite times of year because it, I allow myself to be fooled into thinking it's going to be spring let, and somebody from the Midwest, it's never spring by the time the Masters is around. Let me, let me, let me, let me ask you the difference in, let me ask you a different question related to the Masters. Do you think it's right that they are banning free speech? <laughs> you call that free speech? Do you, are you mad about the dilly dilly? Dilly, dilly if gate. you were shouting anything out at the Masters, they would kick you out. If you were shouting literally anything, like Mashed Potatoes guy is out of the Masters. Why? Because it's a private club and they can do whatever the hell they want. Like I, I, People are getting hung up at the fact that they say, yes, dilly dilly is on the list of words that you could shout at the Masters and get thrown out. If you screamed applesauce after Louis Oosthuizen hit his approach on the 6th, they'd throw you out. It. it Dilly dilly specific, but everybody's getting upset because they know that that isn't going to be. So I put out a tweet earlier today. It was not really directed amongst anybody in particular, but I said, uh, I said, self-righteousness is an ugly virtue. And I just feel like we fall prisoner to the self-righteousness of an anachronistic set of people. The first weekend of every April when we basically play prisoner to the masters for a weekend to a very anachronistic and be, uh, f- far gone way of life when it comes to these these folks who have come a long way baby but also have again a little bit too much self-righteousness for this enlightened individual well, and they also have done things, you know, like not let women in and for a long time, not let black people in. And so, I mean, yes, Augusta National Golf Club is not the bastion of all things that is good and holy. But, man, that golf tournament could be fun. And it's played at the same place every year. And we all get familiar with it if we follow it year to year. And so that's why I like the Masters, because I know what it is. And I kind of know what I'm looking at every single time. I don't have to learn a new golf course. It, it is the first golf tournament of the year it just reminds me that it's going to be spring well it's, golf is kind of here this is where i struggle because having having <laughs> i say this almost as a point of contradiction having said all that i i would i would cut off a limb to be able to go you know so it you know 
or to be a media credentialed member and, and and somehow get the opportunity to play in that Monday lottery that is held every year. Mm-hmm. So again, right? It, I, I I don't I don't understand why we why we block out all of this other ancillary crap. It's because of like the ex- exclusivity, though, right? Like everybody wants something you can't have, and I you can't go to the you can't go to Augusta National Golf Club they, and play. They, they have. That, you know what they have mastered? They've mastered the economic principle of scarcity. And I have no idea how they've done it or, or how they continue to get away with it. But they've, they've mastered the economic principle that you and I learned in, in, in Middlebush Auditorium or, or Conservation Hall or wherever the hell you got economics taught to you when you were at Mizzou. Mm-hmm. They've mastered the principle of scarcity. It's the same reason why it costs you... $15 to get a five-piece Popeye's chicken tenders when it costs you about a third of that on the outside of the world. When you're in an airport, it costs you three times that. Stupid. Sounds like somebody is not satisfied with the cost of their meal recently. The Atlanta airport was not a fun time for Willie P, okay? Sorry. I had to fly Sorry. out of the Atlanta airport. I was... I, I, I don't care if you are from Atlanta or you have ties to Atlanta or if you enjoy flying out of Atlanta. But if you have anything to do with the SEC, Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport is your necessary evil. And I freaking hated it. <laughs> I hate, really? I hate flying in that airport. It is so annoying. I think it's actually pretty decent, all things considered, when shut, it comes to what an airport could be. Shut your heretical mouth. I've been fine with it. I've been absolutely fine with my experiences with that airport. We just flew out of it uh, just the other day. From Auburn? Yeah. It was just fine. Did you drive from Auburn to Atlanta? Is that, is that how you went? It, we did. That's how it went. I and then to Kansas City. I've I've been I've I've been delayed in that airport. I've been laid over in that airport. I've been stuck in that airport. I've lost bags in that airport. I I've gotten lost in that airport trying to find my car. It's not fun. Hate it. Would much well, I'm sure if I got stuck there for a while, I wouldn't like it as much. I I I have. I, I, I have the kind of nightmares about the Atlanta airport that, you know, I'm trying to make I'm trying to make this as non-offensive as possible. I have the same kind of nightmares about the Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport that Mizzou, that diehard Mizzou fans have about Kylo Quinn in Norfolk State. Those are those are my nightmares Oof. about Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. Is that too soon? Is that too I soon? Being, I think you're being a little bit dramatic. Too, okay. soon, too soon. By the way, I had to stand in that freaking audit, uh, that gym myself okay you want to talk you want to talk about groundhog day and getting flashbacks everything's laid out the same from that season everything was the same like the the media entrance the same the layout for the media room the same the 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 gym the same like i'm sitting there and i'm like i literally saw one of the worst things happen in my entire sports covering life in this gym, and I'm sitting here, and I'm like, I, I can't. I just can't. I, I just need to leave. I'm done. That's probably why I ate 68 ounces of beef that week, because I was literally stress eating the entire time, because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm back here again to see you this. Couldn't, I you can couldn't see- reconcile it with uh, with your personal feelings. Couldn't. Couldn't do it. 
It was so bad. And of course, who's there but freaking Kansas? <laughs> like, what am I, I? It couldn't have been worse. And Clemson was playing Kansas. It was so bad. Matthew, it was so bad. I ate so much Sounds red a meat. Unpleasant. I haven't eaten Sounds red a meat since. It's so bad. So bad. I'm so sorry you had an unpleasant experience at Omaha. You weren't at the. You were in the Mizzou Arena during that game. Yeah, I was in Mizzou Arena when that game was happening. I was in Mizzou Arena calling high school basketball games uh, when that all happened. I drank so, I mean, you want to talk about PTSD if anybody should have it. I drank an entire handle of liquor that night. God, I believe it. And you, you took really hard then, didn't you? I was there. I, I had the best seats I'd ever had for a game. I was sitting across from my broadcasting idol, Marv Albert. I couldn't look straight without looking at him. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, this is freaking amazing. And Mizzou goes and does that. I literally, I, t- I looked at Frank Haith. I wanted to kill him. I wanted to freak, I was like, Frank, what the, what, like, I literally almost, like, said, what the F, Frank? Like, seriously. <clears throat> he and I maintain a, a somewhat cordial relationship to this day, which I'm sure would make Mizzou fans just, you know, <laughs> want to <laughs> just be beside themselves because they look upon his tenure as, as somewhat not fondly anymore. Um, but literally, there are times when, when he and I share a discussion where I just want to be like, Frank, what the hell happened in that game? Like, 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 what the hell? Like, like, really? What's the deal? Right? Can't give up that game. You can't. You can't. You, 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 you haven't graduated from that game. They, they, they it's still lo- haunts you. They lost by thirty-four to Florida in the next round. They were non-competitive. Yeah, they did. They did lose by a lot in that so, next round. That's right. So bad. You have no idea what driving back on that road on I thirty five to Kansas. The road was empty, Matthew. It was so empty. It was paved with tears. It was. I stopped in Kansas City. I ate like two burnt end sandwiches, and I still wasn't full. <laughs> That's how bad that day was. It was a whole weekend. I came back. I had I, I had no words the following Monday. I was like, I had no words. I'm like, I don't even care that that Duke lost to Lehigh. Like honestly. Like I woke, I woke, I woke, I woke up after you know, after just completely passing out from from just stress, eating and drinking, that night to see Duke had lost to Lehigh, and I didn't even care. I didn't even move. Like it was, it was just numb, just numb. Duke losing to Lehigh was actually one of the better things that could have happened on, under the circumstances for a Missouri fan that Could, day. Couldn't care. Couldn't care. I was there. Tom Leffler, ask Tom Leffler how I was after that game our mutual friend who covers the Missouri beat for KRCG. Ask him how I was after that game. You could I was like I saw a ghost. Oh, I'm sure you were some level of despondent. It's a very good word for it. Despondent. Um, I get to cover the Heritage next week. That's fun. Looking, looking forward to the golf tournament. I, I I want one of those tartan plaid jackets. Is that what they got going on over there? The, you've the never you oh you've never you've never you've never seen the, the the tartan plaid that they have. It's like a very not not really. It's a red plaid. Google it on your phone. It's it's very chic. It's hot take. 
Better than the Masters green jacket. Hot take. Yeah, maybe I'm just not maybe I'm just not remembering my uh my heritage. You're not marrying a heritage. Well, I used to go as a kid. I mean, we used to, I used to watch that tournament in person as a kid a couple times, you know. A lot oh, really? of fun. A lot of fun. Well, we used to vacation down there in beautiful Hilton, Hilton Head. I had to see I had to see Ernie Ells sand save from a bunker. Got to see, got to uh uh follow uh some some Stuart Singh, some Darren Clark. Got to see Zach Johnson the year that he won the Masters play the successive week of the Heritage, which was pretty cool. Dustin Sounds jo- like every young sports fan's dream. I got to see Ernie Els make a sand save. Oh, shut up. Shut up. I, I'm just pointing that out. I'm just shut pointing up. out that that sounded a little bit ridiculous. Shut up. It was a sand. Was that not an impressive feat? Something I'm, that- sure it's, I'm sure it's very cool at the time. It's just it, the way that you say it, it. Nothing's ever going to sound cool about, <laughs> I got to see Ernie Els make a sand save at the Heritage one year. Boy, that was great. You're such a, He's a professional. He should be making sand saves. You're such a jerk sometimes. You know that? I mean, I don't, I don't mean that to poo-poo on your experience. I mean, I'm sure that it would be pretty cool, too. But it just, Have nothing ever- about that phrase right. is ever going to sound all right. sexy. All right. All right, jerk, jerk face. Have you ever watched the golf tournament in person? Like yes, I, I have. But I, I was I was young. But yes, I have. I went to the Western Open while it still existed in, a few in, times in beautiful Chicago, uh, in, in beautiful Lamont, Illinois. Yes, yes. 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 Uh, all right. So, do you remember what it was like to see golf played by professionals in person for the first time? Um, vaguely. All right. So, as someone who has played golf with you. And 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 you and I have played golf together very badly, I might add. Um, to see them do the kinds of things in person that you and I can't do, I find it very impressive. Oh yeah, oh hundred percent. Like like their tee shots sound like gunshots. Like I watched Retief Goosen on the practice range one of the years I was at the Heritage, and literally. He would he would take a a shot uh, with his driver on the on the driving range. He would hit it about three hundred straight in the freaking air. Then take a break, kibitz with his caddy and his coach, chill. Then walk up and just effortlessly hit another one the same freaking distance. Okay, repeating it and, and hitting it almost the exact same distance with the exact same indus- exact same accuracy. That is impressive. Just saying. Oh, yes, it is. I feel that most of the people who don't or who are like golf and kind of poo-poo it, they either poo-poo it because they don't feel because they feel that it's like economically distant, which I think is a is a legitimate problem with the, the game of golf. Oh, I don't think it is. Any, I, don't, I don't think it is as economically distant anymore. I think it's I think. But it's still but at the highest of levels. I mean, it still is fairly well healed. You would agree. I think Tiger. I think Tiger Woods did a lot to 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 kind of, again, while he is affluent, I think he did a lot to, uh, you know, to bring golf again, bring bring golf to the more common person. Well, people bought into Tiger. We we I think we sometimes I think, forget. I don't people think Tiger. Bought, I'm not saying that Tiger at the start. I'm not saying Tiger here's is this a guy rag. Doing things that no other humans could do. And I'm not saying Tiger was a rags to riches story. But again, he 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 just I, I hate to say it in this way. He made golf accessible 
for more people? Am I am I stretching? Am I stretching here? They don't. But I. Or we need to more accessible. I think the golf more interesting. I think the golf was already accessible to people. The thing is, is that he did things to other professionals that nobody else had done in in some time. You know, he's winning these tournaments by so many strokes. So you tuned in to see Tiger Woods be dominant amongst a field that you knew was already pretty damn good. And that was the draw. I don't think the draw was, here's this guy who's democratizing golf at, at the time that it was happening. You know, it was just right. this guy's a phenomenon. Right. And because he seems pretty well spoken and everybody seems to like him. I mean, can you remember when we were growing up? Mm. There wasn't a thing Tiger Woods could do wrong in in the media and his portrayal of him. There wasn't a the ground he walked on was hallowed ground. And, and part of it was because he did all this with a smile and, and, you know, telegenic to some degree or whatever. We only learned later because in this modern era, you know, it it just kind of what happens because we're cynical people. Right. Like we just right. need to know what's the other story. And then the other shoe dropped on Tiger. And then it's taken him this long to kind of get his career back to a place where it can feel like it's an emotive consistency. And part of that is due to injury, I understand. But that guy was God, Buddha, every deity wrapped into one. He was golf to people. And so golf itself is still trying to find a way through having a world without no, him. No, so, they're, no, they're not. They're not trying to find a world without him because guess what? All the excitement about this year's Masters is due to the fact that he is "quote unquote" back in people's eyes. Right, but they still. But but here's the thing: it's like it's like being a drug user, right? Oh, like, I told you, have Co- Tiger Woods is is crack cocaine for golf. You'll have great numbers this year, and the problem will still remain: of what do you do in a world where Tiger Woods is gone? As professional golfers. Well, and maybe it's because we only ask these sorts of questions more now because we're oversaturated well, with media. Well, how many times have we said this to, to us? How many times have we said this at a PGA Tour, adapt or die with Tiger? Guess what they've chosen? They've chosen to die. Because it, world without Tiger, guess what happens to golf? It goes bye-bye. Guess what happens to but, golf with Tiger? It's the front page of everything on ESPN.com. It leads every sports show. And guess... I, and again, I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, not, I'm not offering a solution. I'm not offering a solution. I'm just telling you that's the that's the God's honest truth. But I don't completely agree with that reading. Like golf has a lot of young talent. The problem is is that people still just like people still live in the glories of past championships. People just still want to see Tiger because they remember what Tiger was and like, well, why can't it be like that again? Well, no, buy into somebody else, you know, instead of just worrying about Tiger Woods all the time. There are other great players playing the game. It's probably top to bottom as wide open as it's been. But it, it it's tough to get out of that shadow for people. I mean, what is it about Tiger? Is it? It was at the start because he was a young gun and he did things that nobody else did, is, and he seemed to shake it up a little. I I, I hate to to I I I I hate to even bring this part up, but how much of it in your mind do you think was was racially driven? Well, I think that golf definitely picked up fans because Tiger Woods is black. Um, that it would not have otherwise gotten 
I think that that's fair to say. At the time that the phenomenon was at its peak and the mania was at its peak, I, I think it's unavoidable to to say anything otherwise, right? Like, surely. I mean, I'm, that just, I'm just. Well, I mean, I don't know how much of it now is racially driven. I just think that. No, I don't think it is now. I think people saw that guy kick everybody's ass and enjoyed right. that part of it. Right. But at the start, I think that had to be part of it. For some people, I'm sure it was. Yes. I'm not sure for everybody, but certainly for some, it had to be. Here's here's a guy, and we don't see many African-American athletes in that sport really dominated to that point. And we haven't, here's we a guy haven't, who is, and he it really is we really haven't dominant. Seen any, we really haven't seen anybody before or since. Have we? I don't think. Well, we've seen dominant black athletes in that sport. No. no. And uh, and the unfortunate thing is that, as you would imagine, probably every dominant or to-be-dominant black golfer coming after Tiger Woods is going to be compared to Tiger Woods. Right. And I think that's unfair to the black golfers of the future who will come well, out and be very I mean, I, I, hate, I hate to make a, a cross-sport analogy, but there was a long time that um, Donald Young— in tennis, was looked about to be, you know, the male equivalent of the Williams sisters, and it never materialized for him. And they thought that again that that was going to be a furthering of the of of the expansion of diversity in tennis, and, and his career never got to the point that the Williams never even got to a, a fraction of the level the Williams sisters ever had. Yeah, and and I think some of that is the pressure too. Like that's unfair to the athlete who has his or her own personality, his or her, her own style, his or her own bona fides, and all you can get is, well, this is the next blank, you know? Mm-hmm. It's I mean, because it's just what we tend to do with something new right. equated to what's happened before. Right. Instead of they are their own athlete and they are really good, and, and golf's going to have a hard time with that because any young player is going to be, oh, is it the next time? Much less any young black player in golf. It's any young player. Oh, is this the next Tiger Woods? Well... We've believe seen that me, time and time me. again, we've and seen, then, and then that, it just sets you up to fail. We've seen that personify itself in multiple situations, between, whether it was Rory, whether it's Jordan Spieth. Like people are saying and that about Justin thing, Thomas they're still now. still really good professional golfers, like really there good. Isn't, there, well, here's, well, this is the thing that I think, and, and again, to, to, get, to get away from the, the race part of it, is that you had a singularly dominant player, but you also had an adversary. Like Tiger, I don't think is I don't think Tiger is Tiger without Phil. And while they're not necessarily adversaries in the fact that they're combative, they're probably a lot more friendly now than we give them credit for. But it was always Tiger and Phil, Phil and Tiger, and you had camps. I mean, it's like the Warriors have LeBron. There really isn't a singularly dominant player and a comparable adversary. We have a lot of very good players. You probably have more overall talent in the game of golf now than we've ever had but there isn't a protagonist and antagonist that have separated themselves from the fray and that's what and that's what draws drama that's what draws attention that's what draws ratings well i think we also can't deny that at the time this was happening and being consumed 
it was a lot simpler to tell yeah. a narrative yeah. of that yeah. because the way you were consuming it was primarily still on the telecast. And it was it, it was a lot less competition for that also. Right. And now it's, you know, you can follow whoever you want on almost any hole at any place at any time and you can be a fan. You know, it, it's almost more in a sense now, and I don't say this to make a direct comparison, but like NASCAR, you've got your driver and that's mm. your, you know, and you can follow them wherever because they're all in the same race and all in the same part. And back in the day, the golf tournament could craft the, the producer of that tournament could craft the narrative probably with more ease than now. Not 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 to not to just drive a complete stake into, into the golf discussion, but. I don't know what's going to happen in NASCAR, man. Like, it's, I mean, you know, well, golf has Tiger for now, and, and they will they will make their peace with however the hell they'll deal with post-Tiger when it happens. N- N- NASCAR is, N- NASCAR has the millstone attached to its neck and has no way of getting out of it. Well, there are always going to be people who enjoy auto racing. There are. Uh- but they're going to be looked at like hockey fans now, even um, more, or even worse. I don't know. There was that moment. Remember that moment in time, and I think it's when we were growing up. Two thousand one, two thousand one. Yeah. When they, when, when, they, when, when it they was put the when they put the Daytona five hundred back on broadcast TV on Fox. Unfortunately, it also happened to coincide with the year that Dale Earnhardt died. But that right. was what I would consider the be the the peak of NASCAR's fandom, if you will. I always grew up with an interest in NASCAR because my grandfather was a stock car racer back in the day. And so he liked watching the sport. Why? I wouldn't wait, say he wait followed wait, 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 it wait, 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 as no, intensely. Pause. Why am I just finding out about this? I, you have probably known this, but have forgotten it. Yeah, he raced not in NASCAR necessarily, although maybe in some sort of forerunner of it. He used to race uh, stock cars out at what is now... O'Hare International Airport. They'd had a racetrack near O'Hare Field back in the day. And uh, that's where he'd race his stock cars. I'm struggling struggling to remember this. He was, you know, coming up while he was still racing them, good friends with and like garage mates with NASCAR Hall of Famer Fred Lorenzen. Oh. Who is, you know, one of the... Yes, yes. One of the original very, very good drivers of that sport. I'm struggling to remember this information. This is not how oh, you, yeah. This is not how you got the Benz, was it? No. Oh. That has nothing to do with it. I mean, I got that from my grandparents, but that has nothing to do with it. Huh. This is very, very novel information. Why did I not know this? I, I don't know. I, I'm sure I told you, but yeah, he used to race stock cars. So I grew up Having some sort of understand, even if not understanding, I knew, oh, it's a race and they go in circles and like, oh, this is fine. Like, I'm I'm cool with that. But more and more people latched onto that. And then I don't know what the moment was where it crossed back the other way. Mm. And I couldn't and I wonder for what broader reasons, if there were any, that it happened. But it just like fell off the map. I mean, pe- people talk about the politics people talk about the 
the I mean, they're, they're stars. I mean, they they this their stars of their sport dropped out one by one. Really, I wonder if it was the rule changes too. You well, know, that's at the, the other time part. that they, they would have week after week after week. They made it week. really complicated. They made it they made it a lot less simple than, hey, you win the race, you get, you know, this, you know. It, it right. I mean, it's a complicated sport, don't get me wrong, but I mean, I it, think that it, it got beyond it's something as simple as, hey, you win a race and it means something. Like and again, they've tried to get back to the whole, you know, making race wins mean more or exponentially more than than just placing high week after week but i don't again they've i hate to say they've bastardized it so much now and again as somebody who again follows nascar on a closer level than i have in the past just because of of where i live it it honestly is i i i don't i don't know what saves it i i can't I, i can't give you a I mean, people thought that Bubba Wallace is going to do it just because, again, again, not to get back to the race thing, but it's an African American NASCAR driver. You don't, we don't have that many of those, you know. And if he has success, maybe that brings about new eyeballs to NASCAR. I don't know, but I just, it's, I, I don't know what happened. I really don't. I, I think that part of it too is that it, it's still so hard in so many parts of the country to get involved with that sport on a personal level, like on a personal participatory level. Any kid can play basketball. Any kid can play soccer, but not every kid, for instance, can golf. Mm -hmm. I, 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 it's gotten a lot easier, but I don't think every kid could golf. club sport. Not every kid, not every human being could ever race a stock car. It's expensive sport. Mm -hmm. You have to be in with the right people. You got to really want to do it. Or it's going to be in your family. Or it's got to be in your family, exactly, where there's already the commitment to do it. And that, I think, probably hurts it, too. What is your thought about Major League Baseball's exploration into Facebook? Uh, I'm just fine with it, and I think it's good, It uh, generally. It, it, it became a, a very heavily panned uh, opening experiment with it in uh, Wednesday's uh, Mets Phillies opening test of that uh, online only digital only platform. I have no problem with it, but I also find it ironic that for the first time in the world of the four major sports, we are using the one that skews the oldest to test out a digital only game. Granted, it's one of 162. It is a day game, which, again, probably will draw a very low number on TV. But you will get people who I'm sure, like my parents, who probably have no idea how to actually consume this game, texting me being like, Will, what the hell do we do? We're not on the Facebook. We don't subscribe to the Facebook. What do we do? They're not on Facebook? My parents are are proudly not on the Facebook. Ah. It makes again. I know, and I know your mother is. Your mother and I are Facebook friends. Mm-hmm. We talk. Yes. We talk about you sometimes. Is that right? It um, seems a little bit. Seems like a little bit of detail there. It's fine. We we don't say anything bad about you. How am I to know? All I know is that you're you're, you're just telling me that you talk with my mother about me sometimes on Facebook. I don't know. I don't know how to take that. 
She asks me how you are sometimes. She says, how's Matthew? I said, Matthew's fine. I hear well, he's... Said, is, that, is that a suggestion that I don't talk to mom enough? I, she uh, asked me how all your trip to Auburn was. Oh, wow. Did you have did you have a did you have a tumor's corner orangeade whilst you were in Auburn? I hope See, here's you did. The, here's the thing. Oh, don't tell me this. Don't, I ran out of time. I ran out of time on Saturday. You're such a and forgot that it wasn't going to be open on Sunday. You're such a. You, this is this is your problem. You're so angry about straying away from the group. That you don't just go off on your own and like if I was in your position where I'm going to all these different cities, like I'm glad this is why I'm glad I travel alone because I I can I can I can be a trailblazer I can do what I want I can go to the drover on my own and sit at the bar and order a steak that's as big as my face that's been sitting in whiskey for fifteen minutes. I don't have minutes. a problem. I don't have a problem with doing that. I really don't have a problem with doing that at all. The problem was is that we were running out of time during the day with what's scheduled there. And I wanted to make sure that I had enough time to actually go. And then I forgot that it was definitely going to be closed on Sunday no matter what because it was Easter. That's it. Hmm. Quaint little town, Auburn, Alabama. Quaint. It is. It is, by the way, pronounced Jordan Hare. It is Jordan Hare. Correct. Jordan. Shug Jordan. Shug Jordan. Are you coming? Are you, you're, are you coming for the, for the football trip? Have, have we established that or not? Or, or are you not? For, for what? The football trip that Missouri takes down here. Oh, I have no idea. Probably not. Why not? I, I have don't fa- know. I have facilities for you to perform L show here. We we've probably because I got other stuff to do. I can't even think about that right now. It's too far away. You need to come down for the football game. You'll be here for the I, baseball I, series. It would be series. lovely. It'd be lovely. I will be there for the upcoming baseball series between the two teams. I'm I at this stage, you want me to be completely honest, I will be very interested in seeing what South Carolina baseball looks like at that time of season because it might not have been a pleasant year at that point. I um I can tell you right now the the fan base after getting swept at Georgia, looked I, I thought they were going to leave him for dead. They had a pretty good crowd against Tennessee in the final game of that series, but they are on, they they go on an eight game stretch where they are out of town. They play Kentucky this weekend. They play Citadel midweek, and then they have another uh, road series against. Um, forgive me. I, I don't I don't know who the next one is against, but I know it's against somebody who they would be an underdog against, if you will. So, mm-hmm. again, so again, I I I can't even tell you what their next home series is going to look like, let alone what uh, what the fan what, what mode the fan base will be in by the time Missouri comes here. I'm I'm pulling it up right now as as I as I sit here on Gamecocks online. They play okay. That that is that is at Arkansas after the Citadel series, and then they they have a midweek game against Presbyterian, and then they're home to LSU, and then at Vanderbilt, home Ole Miss, and then they get Missouri. 
And by the way, they also play Missouri in the same week that they play their former head coach, who is the head coach of College of Charleston, in a neutral side game in a ballpark in Columbia, but not their home ballpark at the home of the minor league team here in Columbia. And by the way, College of Charleston, no slouch, they swept Georgia in in their ballpark. I mean, college baseball is especially odd sometimes because you won't necessarily find the same results week to week. I think the consistency can, can can win in college baseball as much as talent can. Well, the other part of it is, is uh, a lot of times with those midweek games, it's a it's a very singular atmosphere. And again, I think this is also the fault of the, the going back to our earlier discussion about the North Carolina and South Carolina series. The fault of that series is that they're using midweek pitching. They're not using they're not using weekend pitching. I'd like to see what that series would look like on a weekend, but again, mm-hmm. I don't know if that'll ever happen because getting those two to agree to a weekend series is probably about as easy as, you know, negotiating a peace treaty in Palestine and the West Bank. Right. Whoa. Whoa. Will got very political there. I mean, that was mildly political, I think. Is there anything else for the good of the cause? And I, I will allow you to make any non-sports take you want here. Um, I don't know. Do I have anything else for the good of the cause? Did you see um, the St. Louis Blues completely blow a game against the Chicago Blackhawks all right, tonight? All right. This literally is another thing that I wanted to bring up. I love how I love how you, you I love how our minds sometimes work in concert. Um, even though this is also a sports thing, and uh, we've been rather sportsy. Um, so our friend, mutual friend, Tom Ackerman, sports director at KOX, you've heard of him and his work, yes? Oh, yes. Uh, um, he, he is uh, of the opinion the St. Louis Blues are the most, quote, tortured sports fan base that there is. Name me a more tortured sports fan base. And I will offer you, another tortured fan base in that very same sport that could probably compare very favorably with the Blues. The Washington Capitals, I would say. Yeah. Submitted for your approval, the Washington Capitals. Granted, they did not have the, what was it, 32 consecutive seasons of postseason that St. Louis had? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington had 13 uh, in the late 70s through the 80s and early 90s. Um, they got, I believe, to the conference finals once in that in that span. Um, they got to the Stanley Cup final once, lost in four games to Detroit. They've been eight of the last nine seasons, haven't gotten beyond the conference semis. And a couple of the President's Trophies in that realm as well. I'm not saying they are as tortured as St. Louis Blues fans, but they're in the same room amongst the most. And I can tell I you, think, I, I think that's unquestionable. And yes. I and I can tell you right now, if you ask Washington Capitals fans, they believe that there's a hex in the freaking phone booth right now. Because I guarantee you, they're going into the playoffs this year. I guarantee you, none of them are confident. I think there are people who legitimately believe who and, and oh by the way, they might have they they might have one of the top two most talented players in the sport. They certainly have the most talented player in the sport who doesn't have a Stanley Cup. And yeah. and I think that's unquestionable. So to say that the St. Louis Blues are are 
unquestionably more tortured than the Washington Capitals, I think is, is someone who is looking at it a little too provincially. No offense to Senor Ackerman. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I will look across several different sports to say more tortured. Um, I think that at this point, Cleveland Browns, pretty tortured. Buffalo Bills fans are certainly more tortured. Um, Buffalo Bills fans are 100% more tortured. He puts he puts perennial loser as something that is a disqualifier in this case. So that would took the take the Browns out of it. All right, it doesn't necessarily take the Bills out of it, I don't think. Well, the Bills did go to four Super Bowls now. Yeah. The Bills went to four Super Bowls and lost all of them. Sounds now, pretty tortured to well, me there, Bob. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I I say this as somebody who has talked to Jim Kelly personally, not the name drop, not the name drop, but getting to getting to the Super Bowl, I think, does not get enough credit across the four majors, in my opinion. I think not enough credit is given for actually just getting to the Super Bowl, the gauntlet that it takes to get to the Super Bowl. Like, I'm not going to sit here and try and tell you that the San Diego Chargers that got blown out in Super Bowl 29 are some sort of a gargantuan team because they had Stan Humphreys as their quarterback and Bobby Roth as their head coach. But I will say, I will say this. Getting to four straight Super Bowls is an accomplishment that we will never truly realize its impact just because of the fact that they so spectacularly lost all four of those games. One by a field goal, one to one of the greatest offenses in NFL history, and two straight to a dynasty that we never really fully actually realized because Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson couldn't get along after two years. Mm-hmm. It's very deep, by the way. I, very deep I, I, Will Pelagic NFL analysis right there. I just don't... have done that in a while. <laughs> I, I know the St. Louis Blues feel tortured, but they really... I don't know if they've been as close as often as they well, think that's the thing. They... Like, like, how many of those playoff teams did you honestly think that the St. Louis Blues could take to win a Stanley Cup? How like, many I honestly don't think that's tortured. I just think in some cases that's mediocre. Well, that's the you thing. Know? That's the thing. I think it's, it's more of a commentary on, on how... I don't want to say meaningless the NHL regular season is, but but how easy it is to get into the playoff. Like 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 a, like a playoff appearance in the NHL almost equates to a tournament appearance in the NCAA tournament in a way. Because once you get to the playoffs, it's a completely different game in the NHL. Like surviving the regular season versus surviving in the playoffs I would I would argue is an inadequate skill set. Is it not? Because it takes goaltending, it takes good play on special teams, it takes a little bit of puck luck for you. I mean, and, and yeah. while and while St. Louis has had facets of all three of those things, they've really never had all three in one season. Right. I mean, there's one year where Grant Fuhr stands on his head, but they can't score on the power play and. There were years where it looks like they have the offense, but they give up too many goals. I mean, it's, 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 it's different things happen, and you could say the same. I mean, that's definitely frustrating. You could say the same thing for the Capitals. But... Capitals had the number one power play one season and couldn't score in the postseason. I mean, again, it's just it's just, it's just fluke stuff happens in the NHL playoffs. 
and not to try to quibble too much with uh, our pal Tom Ackerman there, but I, I don't think that that necessarily makes one tortured. I think it just makes either a franchise not quite good enough or, you know, unlucky yes. as much as anything else. I think the torture, if you wanted to find the torture as being there and still coming up short, I I don't know if there were a ton of times where the St. Louis Blues were truly there, like on the doorstep of a championship and had it, you know, snatched away. They just haven't made a Stanley Cup in however many years, a cup final. And is that tortured? Maybe to some degree, but there's also a case to be made saying, well, you never had a chance to play for the big one anyway. So what does that mean? You want to know what torture is, Matt Michaels? What's that? Torture is beating Tom Brady and Peyton Manning in the same postseason and then losing to Ben Roethlisberger in the AFC championship game. See, that sounds pretty torturous to me. I would agree with that. You want to know what that actually happened to my football team? It did. It did indeed. How are you taking that there, champ? Apparently we're going to draft Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen. I have no idea. I just know whatever choice they're going to make is the wrong one. I just know it. inherently in my blood i know it's going to be the wrong one (laughs) it just is it's always going to be the wrong one because the jets don't know how to draft that sounds a little tortured to me there i didn't even bring up the jets i mean i know what jeff lagerman feels like i know what kyle brady feels like i know what freeman mcneil feels like i know what ken o'brien feels like I know what 1 in 15 Rich Kotite feels like. Poor Rich Kotite. How's he doing? How's old Richie doing? Richie Rich. I don't want to say I hope he's dead, but I mean, you know. Oh, God. That's terrible. Al Groh was once the head coach of the New York Jets. And I know you're going to say that Mark Trestman was once the head coach of the Chicago Bears. I understand that. I understand that. It's probably about... I, I would like to I would like to do a, a deep dive on Mark Trestman versus Al Groh. Who was worse? Can we do that at some Com- point? Commission Commission of Fact Finding. Can, can we commit can we commission can we commission some of one, one of the one of the stat nerds at Pro Football Talk or, or Pro Football Reference to do a deep dive on the Mark Trestman versus Al Groh years? Maybe they can put I'm it sure on it's the. Just a- a lot of, I'm sure it's just a lot of losing. Maybe, one maybe, way or the they other. Can, maybe they can put it on the athletic. They could. You want sure to know I broke down and subscribed to the athletic? Oh, that's good. They got some good stuff over there. It's because our mutual friend decided to smear me in an article and <laughs> shame me into friggin' purchasing the athletic. This is what happens when we have friends in high places. It's better than having friends in low places. Then don't go uh, saying things that get yourself uh, published there. I believe that I was justified. Believe that I was justified. But then again, when do I ever believe I am not justified? That's a really good question, and I don't think I have the answer to that. Say something stupid, Matt. Something stupid. Something stupid.